I'm Denzel Mohammed, and welcome to a special edition of JobMakers. If you haven't heard me say it yet, you haven't been listening. Immigrants are twice as likely than average to start a business here in the US. And these businesses are having real local and national impact. But the reception to these business owners is uneven. And there are many municipalities that can learn from places that actively and authentically engaged with their newest residents and helped build up their entrepreneurial capacity to the benefit of all residents. For Chris Ramon, son of immigrants from El Salvador, immigration policy analyst, and co-author of the new report, Immigrant Entrepreneurship, Economic Potential and Obstacles to Success, published by Partisan Policy Center, he scoured the nation to learn not only what immigrant entrepreneurs need, but what municipalities and the federal government can do to help build up these businesses. The report shows that immigrants are primed to take risks due to their willingness to move to the United States, but politicians aren't doing much to facilitate that entrepreneurial spirit. The report offers case studies, recommendations, and stories that demonstrate the value and impact immigrant business owners can bring as you learn in this week's Job Makers. Chris Ramon, independent researcher and policy expert on immigration. Welcome to the Job Makers podcast. How are you? Thank you. Uh, great to be here and uh, very much open to having this great conversation with you. And, you know, obviously happy to chat with you. You've been doing amazing work that I've been following for many years now. So it's great to be here. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, you've been studying immigration for a very, very long time. Uh, you were a Fulbright scholar studying migration as well in Spain. Uh, and you recently co-wrote a report for the Bipartisan Policy Center called Immigration Entrepreneurship, Economic Potential and Obstacles to Success. Uh, could you just give us a little background about you and then this project? Sure. Um, so uh, my folks are Salvadoran immigrants. Um, you know, I was born in L.A. Uh, my folks actually met in Los Angeles, so they didn't immigrate together, but they uh, they came here uh, actually the same year, 1974, um, through some pretty different routes. Uh, you know, my, my mom was an undocumented immigrant and my dad came here because my grandmother, who immigrated to the United States in 1968, um, was able to get uh, him and my um, my uncle, uh, you know, help with processing their immigration cases, especially in the house of an immigration attorney. So they got really lucky in the lottery of life to be able to get, uh, be able to come here. Um, so you know, very much immigration is a part of my story. Um, but you know, in terms of uh, you know the work that I do in this report, you know, I had an opportunity to really look into um, you know why why immigrants become entrepreneurs, uh, what are the challenges they face, sort of the the policy responses that you see at the federal and local level, um, and then policy recommendations to do that. So, just give us a, an idea of the landscape of immigrant entrepreneurship. What what did you find, generally speaking, what kind of sectors are immigrants concentrated in? Do they have a higher rate of entrepreneurship? Uh, how are they impacting their localities and regions? Yeah, so I think the key thing is that, um, you know, immigrants are, uh, you know, 
immigrants can are represented across um, different industries. You always hear the story about uh, the immigrant entrepreneur that starts um, a high tech startup in uh, Silicon Valley. Um, but also you see immigrant entrepreneurs uh, in Main Street businesses, um, particularly restaurants and, and service industries. Um, and so you, you do have this broad uh, distribution. I think one thing to note with uh, the distribution is oftentimes, uh, particularly immigrants who are here, um, they will sometimes start businesses that rep represent or reflect the cultures that they came from. So restaurants, obviously, is a major um, story that comes up when you see these folks um, in terms of products. You know, one of the interesting stories that we heard about, you know, in this sort of vein is that there was a Syrian um soap maker who wanted to make their soaps in the United States. And so they were able to, you know, uh, be able to put together their business in, in the St. Louis area to be able to do that. Um, so I think that that's something that's important. But the key thing there is that uh, immigrants do start businesses at much higher rates um, than even native born Americans. Um, and the data really backs this up. Um, it's, it's just incredible to see how active they are in building the businesses. Um, you know, it's not to say that native born Americans aren't like creating businesses. It's just that immigrants are doing this at much higher rates. I think the last thing is in terms of the e impacts, you know, we didn't dive into that information as much, but there is, you know, I think overall there is a sizable impact to be considered in terms of the, because there are just more immigrants foreign businesses, um, that the, that the impact has to be strong and significant, um, because they are creating jobs that are employing individuals and they're paying taxes. Um, so I think that that's really something to consider. It's a, it's a definitely a win for the, the national economy, but for local economies as well. And we're recording this podcast over Zoom. Guess who founded Zoom? An immigrant. Um, yeah, you paint a really good picture here. And, and, you know, if we open our eyes just to main streets and see the variety of businesses that we have, uh, the variety of cuisines that we have access to, that's really unique and important for us. Um, so you said you found that, um, I read that rates of entrepreneurship for immigrants increased over the past few years and actually decreased among the U.S. born. But you know, COVID obviously affected many of these businesses in a very, very significant way. And you found that minority-owned businesses, immigrant business owners, suffered some of the highest losses. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the reason you see that those losses suffered um, is that particularly service industries or um, industries where minority um, business owners and immigrant business owners were really hit hard, um, especially during the first year with, with the pandemic, because obviously individuals uh, largely remained at home. Um, and so the fact is that if you have individuals who are using these services, um, at lower rates, you're going to have businesses you know, going under a lot more uh, at higher rates. Um, so I think that the distribution of uh, these individuals and their businesses, unfortunately, really put them in a tough spot uh, when it came back from the pandemic. So I interviewed a guy called Daniel Perez. He's a entrepreneur here in, in Massachusetts. He has a very successful transportation business. So trans transporting uh, businessmen from the airport to their meetings, to their hotels. Uh, and obviously, when the pandemic happened, people weren't moving. People weren't going anywhere. Uh, people were confined to their homes. And he found a way to be able to use his vehicles in a profitable way during the pandemic. They became mobile health clinics during the pandemic. Uh, so some immigrants did find ways to navigate successfully throughout this uh, very trying time. Um, 
So when it comes to some of the hurdles you found, you know, obviously immigration status, the stagnant immigration policy, there are many, many reasons uh, why immigrants should not be able to start businesses. What are some of the hurdles you found? Yeah. So to your point, I think with um, with the immigration system, I mean, first and foremost, we do not have a visa expressly designed for immigrant entrepreneurs. You're an individual who needs to get funding from um, from a venture capitalist to be able to start your, your startup, for instance, or you're an individual who wants to start a mainstream business. There isn't in a, a visa for you to be able to come to the United States to do that. And, and and so that's kind of the first problem is that the the ability to attract you know talent at least through those channels just simply do not exist um you know and the second issue with the immigration system is we're not really designed to retain talent particularly you know not just simply you know workers who can bring in their skills and stay here I'm thinking obviously foreign students is one example uh who are here on an F student visa and then you know if they don't have uh, a job lined up and get sponsored and be able to get a visa to stay here. Uh, the you know they're in dire straits. We just do not have a status for these individuals to adjust into to be able to become entrepreneurs. So we have this dual problem where we're not able to attract talent, uh, or in this case, the the ambitions, the skills, the knowledge, and the drive for immigrant entrepreneurs to come here. And uh, to be able to retain those individuals that are already here, but they're on a temporary visa, uh, that's that's a major issue. Uh, you know, another issue is um, access to resources. So it's 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 interesting because you know one of the drivers of immigrant entrepreneurship is social capital. So the networks that you have, uh, you know, this is why you see you're sort of seen over the course of American history these immigrant enclaves emerge. Um, and one of the reasons that you know th those communities, uh, you know have been able to uh, really sustain themselves financially is because uh, a newcomer comes to the United States and they're able to sort of navigate the, the, the business uh, starting process. Um, and this is a, obviously a long-term project, you know, for, for many, you know, for decades, uh, even centuries in the United States with the history of immigration. But of course, those social networks allow individuals to be able to navigate, um, you know, the system to be able to set up their businesses. But the issue, of course, is that if you're a newcomer and you're trying to start a business now, there's issues around, say, accessing a loan. Maybe you don't have a credit history in the United States. You don't have assets to be able to offer to a bank. Um, and, and, and so that can kind of put you at a disadvantage, um, especially if you're coming in and, and maybe you may not have the savings to do that. It's not to say that it, it makes starting businesses impossible for immigrants, uh, but it certainly is a major challenge. So those are the two things to consider with the the major major obstacles that immigrant entrepreneurs face here in the United States. And despite this, so again, immigration status, immigration policy, as you say, uh, having a credit history, you know, 90% of, of immigrants who come here don't even have a clue about a credit score. That's something unique to the U.S. Language barriers, as you say, collateral. Uh, having social capital is so important for anyone to succeed anywhere, having parents or children or cousins or family of any kind there. And yet still, they have a higher rate of business generation. Isn't that astonishing? You know, individuals come here and that's a risky move. I mean, I, I recently just moved to Chicago um, and, you know, there was a, you know, cost benefit analysis that I made um, and it was still, you know, risky. But if you're moving from one country to another, 
oftentimes permanently, um, your your ability to be able to assess risk and, and your willingness to do that kind of primes you already to be able to take other risky uh, steps, particularly starting businesses. And so I think that 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 the the, the that mitigate the, the experience of migrating to the United States really does mitigate um, the awareness you might have towards taking risks. So that's one factor. Another important factor is, you know, a lot of these individuals who come to uh, the United States are, um, you know, they, they have knowledge, experience and skills whether it's formal um, channels that they, you know, what they went to university or trade school, or it's informal, um, you know, and sometimes it's very hard to find jobs that can, you know, really fully use this in the United States. Um, and especially if you're you're coming in from a licensed profession, you need to get credentials renewed or, or need to take up additional study. And so these individuals oftentimes start their own businesses to be able to um, use the experiences that they've gained over a lifetime to be able to do the work that's meaningful for them and also probably to get paid um, at a decent uh, rate. And, and so I think that there is that also the drive of saying, um, I can't find a way to integrate into this labor market. I will create my own path to do so. So what are some of the ways that we can address these issues? Let's say, let's start at the federal level and then come down to the local level. Yeah, so, so Congress has recognized this issue. So I'm going to give them credit up front that they've recognized that this issue is something that um, that we need to focus on. And they proposed um, Democrats and Republicans, so it has been a bipartisan issue, um, have proposed uh, bills um, to be able to create a... Um, an immigrant visa and an immigrant status that people can adjust into if they're already here and the visa will allow people to come here. But I think, you know, one of the key things that needs to be done is they just simply need to pass it. Um, and I think that um, as much as I think that the, the, you know, that a comprehensive immigration reform bill that addresses multiple issues is the most ideal. I'm also being, you know, you have to be a little bit of a pragmatist and a realist and recognize that um, you may need to do reforms in a piecemeal fashion and um, and and get the wins where you can, get the bipartisan consensus where you can and, and, and do that. Um, at the municipal level, you are seeing um, cities um, really stepping up in, in some big ways um, to be able to provide technical assistance. And in some instances, um, you know, uh, loan programs um, for minority-owned businesses and immigrants. Um, so you are seeing that there are the, the these municipalities that are doing this. One of the interesting things in the conversations I had with the experts on this, though, is that you, you want to be able to, first of all, um, you don't want to have duplicative services. And, and I didn't really dive too deeply into this into the report, but I can say this a little bit more now here. One of the things that uh, somebody who works in a mid-Atlantic city, he mentioned that one of the one of the well-intentioned efforts is to have a lot of funding to be able to provide technical services for minority, um, potential minority business owners and immigrants. And that's good. Naturally, you want the funding. The problem is that the funding actually started going into duplicative technical services that didn't really adjust to the needs of the communities. It was just simply the same program. He literally almost said uh, it's basically almost like a copy and paste job. 
And and that doesn't benefit anybody. So one of the things that he said that municipalities really need to do is uh, dedupe, you know, their services and, and see where they can try to re, uh, reduce redundancies and adjust the services to meet the actual needs of, of the, the individuals that they're meant to serve. Um, another issue is uh, obviously language services, providing them in languages and also recognizing that the immigrant populations are going to shift. So just because you are providing languages, uh, language services in five languages in uh, you know 2018, that's not to say that in 2022, the population hasn't shifted. Um, so that's something else to consider. Um, there's trusted community navigators as it's an important component of this is that um, you need to be able to reach out to the community and have the folks that people trust um, to be able to sort of do outreach to immigrant entrepreneurs and to know what their needs are and how you can access them. Um, some of these can be, you know, um, a mayor who goes out um, and, and actually connects with the community, with other members of um, important leaders in, in the communities, whether it's police chiefs or, or representatives of chambers of commerce. Um, but it can also be, um, you know, uh, nonprofits, chambers of commerce, co community development corporations that can help you get a little bit more in the sense of what the actual needs are. Um, I will say I will point to one interesting example that I did think was really interesting in terms of particularly kind of doing this all well is that, um, you know, the, the city of Philadelphia um, ended up kind of canceling all these grants for these programs and actually just brought in, they had a common pot and they brought in uh, consultants, uh, 1099 experts who could provide targeted services depending on the needs of the community at any given time and pairing them up with individuals. Um, not only are they saving money because they don't have to pay into healthcare or pensions or what have you, um, they're able to bring in individuals that are targeted to specific needs um, and, 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 and the needs and the, and the things that are important for these communities. Could you probably give us uh, some cities that have been doing have been successful in building up the entrepreneurial capacity of the immigrant populations? St. Louis, to me, is actually something that's just fascinating because, um, and we mentioned this in, in our report, we highlight St. Louis, there's just a high propensity of nonprofits that are doing very good and longstanding uh, work on providing immigrant entrepreneurs with technical services, um, with loans, um, and with um, just being able to connect with them. One organization that I've known about since at least 2012 is the Mosaic uh, Institute um, in St. Louis. Um, Betsy Cohen, I think, is the, the individual who works on that. Um, and, and so she's been doing groundbreaking work in this whole area for now at least 10 years. You know, we mentioned the city of Chicago. Um, I think one of the interesting things there is that you've been seeing the little village chamber of commerce. So that's a, a community in Western um, Chicago that's largely Latino. Um, and and they've you've been seeing you know little village the little village chamber of commerce uh, the foundation of little village setting up some interesting programs um, one is sort of uh, a twelve week class for new and existing business owners that are offered in English and Spanish um, there's also the the chamber of commerce is starting this project called uh, Exquina Cafe. Um, 
which is like a commercial and cultural center that will actually have a business incubator. Um, it, it, so individuals can start their own businesses and there will actually be a kitchen there um, to be able to allow uh, food vendors to sell their items and learn from that. You know, we did mention um, Molden, Massachusetts, uh, you know, is, is one of those interesting examples where you did see uh, the mayor really doing some great outreach work largely under like a nonpartisan banner of saying, we're just going to reach out to immigrant entrepreneurs, get secure support from all sectors of society to be able to support these individuals and doing it in, in, in I think, a non-political way, because sometimes you'll see cities, municipalities saying we're a welcoming city. They'll do that under the auspices of Welcome America, which is an amazing organization, um, really appreciate their work, but they'll say, oh, we're a welcoming city or they'll pass policies like saying we're a sanctuary city which of course there's no definition of what a sanctuary city is, but they're they're saying that to try to, you know, uh, whether or not it actually produces outcomes limit um, cooperation with immigration enforcement. There are these things that can symbolize that there, there's an openness, but I think Malden, Massachusetts is interesting because the mayor was deliberately non-political on this and they can show that you can actually kind of approach this issue um, in a less in a less polarizing way and and get uh, community buy-in, which is, I think, is so vital to um, to ensuring that people feel uh, secure and support. At the local level, how do we move the needle on this? How do we how do we spur some change so that we can foster the entrepreneurial capacity of immigrants in our communities, which is to obviously to everyone's benefit? These issues of competition for resources with other minority groups always comes up, and and you know I think there's there's Feelings that are, are related to that, that, that people feel that, you know, this might be disadvantage, this might disadvantage minority business owners um, from other communities. But oftentimes minority business owners have immigrants in their uh, in in their ranks. So it's it's not to say that it's a competition for resources, but that I think is a it's a very real concern. So I think the first thing is just ensuring that, you know, municipalities, um, nonprofits, community devel development um, corporations um, all are ensuring that, you know, minority business owners feel like they're being supported and that they're also that their needs are being met um, and, and really acknowledging that so people don't feel like there's a competition, even if there isn't necessarily one, um, just to ensure that that concern is addressed. And, you know, what you see in cities uh, and municipalities is sometimes they'll just offer services for minority business owners. Um, and that might be the assumption is that, you know, some immigrant um, my immigrants might be incorporated into uh, that minority group because there are already a large number of immigrants there. I think that's one thing that's incredibly important to build in that stakeholder relationship. I think another thing to consider, too, is that, you know, whether it's an, uh, at the national level, the state level, the local level, is trying to sort of de-link immigration as an issue that is a single issue, um, you know, I think, and specifically related to the border. Like I said, there's 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 a legitimate policy conversation to be had there. Um, I, you know, I, I'm more critical of the politics around it, but I think in terms of effective policy, certainly there's a discussion there to be had. I think, though, that um, when you're talking about immigrant entrepreneurs, the thing is that you you want to, you know, it's, it's to say these are individuals who are here right now. They're contributing to our communities. 
Um, and they they are a vital part of the the economic and, and the community life here in, in, in these areas. And I think that you really need to be very intentional in understanding that you have to delink this. There are people who won't. At the end of the day, everybody, there will be people who you can't change uh, their, their views on this. But I do think that you are, if you're able to at least get people to think through that immigration as an issue, whether it's policy or political, um, it isn't just simply the border, uh, even though that's the natural default. So really being intentional to do this. Um, and I think that as a part of that, and, and you know, we go back to the, like I said, Malden, Massachusetts, is to really um, get a read on the community and how they view these issues, um, particularly the non-immigrant individuals. Um, you know, like I said, you know, it, it might be the case that in a very blue city, stating that you're a welcoming city or you're um, you're a sanctuary city um, might run a little bit better with some of the residents. But I do think that uh, a depoliticized approach that doesn't try to make this already a polarizing issue, more so, I think, with the issue around uh, a sanctuary declaration as opposed to the walking one, because I think Welcoming America does good bipartisan work and works across the entire country. Um, but I do think that kind of more hardline political stance on uh, we're, we're here to protect immigrants from immigration enforcement and so forth, I don't think that actually does anybody any, any favors in the end, especially if you're dealing in areas where people might have more um, I think uh, complex views around immigration. So I think it's more depoliticize it, delink it from some other issues that make consensus very hard to find, um, and and ensuring that all community members feel like they can get services that they need. Um, I think those are sort of three things that you can do to feel like uh, to get people to support these individuals already. If they're not, you know, at least among the individuals who are worried about it um, and but are willing to have uh, a conversation to see if their minds can be changed. I love that idea of decoupling immigration. It, immigrants are part of our communities. They're our neighbors, they're our employers, they're our workers, they're our friends, they're our soccer players. Uh, so it's not a separate issue from anything else in the community. It's a community issue. It's an economic issue. It's a social issue. It's not just an immigration issue. And I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you made that, that point. So Chris Ramon, immigration policy researcher and analyst and co-author of Immigrant Entrepreneurship, Economic Potential and Obstacles to Success. Thank you for joining us on the JobMakers Podcast. Thank you so much. Appreciate the invitation. JobMakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thanks for joining us for this week's look into how we can better grow our immigrant-owned businesses for the benefit of all Americans. Remember, you can subscribe to JobMakers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you next Thursday at noon for another JobMakers.